wouldn't mind standing with me, please. We're in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 24. We'll back up a verse to 23 as we work our way through the New Testament verse by verse. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied them. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends as Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. Uh Uh-oh. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour, three in the afternoon, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms or your good deeds are remembered in the sight of the Lord. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of another Simon, a tanner by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is acceptable by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord, Master, Ruler of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up, and on the third day, and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him will receive remission, removal of sins." While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. 
For they heard them speak at tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that those should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you want us to understand that you are not partial, that you do not discriminate. Thank you, Lord. Speak to us now. Send your spirit to teach us. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all of God's children agreed by saying, Amen. You may be seated, please. Well, one of the guys in the hot rod group sent this to me. He said a, a couple's lawnmower he knew uh, broke, and uh, the wife was trying to get the husband to get it fixed, and he just didn't see it. And uh, so finally she brought out the old hand push one, but it was so dull it couldn't cut anything. And so she decided to uh, get his attention by when he got home from work that night, she was sitting in the middle of the lawn with a pair of scissors cutting the lawn. And he watched her for a minute, then he went back in the house and he got a toothbrush and he came out and he said, when you finish cutting the grass, you might as well sweep the sidewalk. <laughs> the emergency room doctor said he'll probably walk again, but it'll be with a limp. <laughs> Obsolete things. Actually, this section of scripture is talking about the law becoming obsolete, that it is being changed. Dictionary says obsolete means to find something no longer useful. And that's what happened to the Old Testament law. Now, we all deal with that. You know, I'm sure some of you still have a collection of 45 RPM records, maybe 78s, and some 8-tracks, and uh, bell-bottom trousers, and things that you're sure are going to come back, but they're not. Uh, so... When you look at something that's obsolete, you may want to save it for a while, but you need to just let it go. <laughs> so there's a bigger statement than that in this, though. Peter has lived his whole life as an Orthodox Jew. He has kept the, all the laws the best that he could of the Old Testament. He has been raised to think of Gentiles as being unclean and common. But something has happened during his lifetime. God moved from the left-hand side of the book, the Bible you're holding, to the right-hand side. He moved from the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, to the New Covenant, the New Testament. Jesus said it would happen. He said, you can't put new wine in old wine skins. And Ezekiel 36 said, I will send my spirit upon you. A new covenant, I'll take out your heart of stone, I'll put in your heart of flesh. I'll write on your heart the law of love. And I'll cause you to walk in my ways. It's a new covenant that's coming. But when it happened, it was so radical that Jesus' apostles didn't see it coming. And this chapter 10 of Acts is in fact the place that it takes place, this pivot point in history. And it continues to this day. So 
we have to distinguish, as the scripture does, between Jew and Gentile. Now, in the biblical times, a Jew was anyone who was related to Abraham, Abraham's son, down through his progeny, all through his family. And a Gentile was everybody else. And so it was causing the Jews, instead of showing Gentiles the love of God, to become proud about their heritage. And that still happens today for some Jews. So God is going to upset their whole way of thinking. And it needs to happen in all of us individually too. So, three parts of this section. Peter asks a question, why did you call me to come? He's moved about 30 miles north from Joppa, a port, to the Roman center for the Roman army in Israel in the first century, a port called Caesarea. And uh, he's come because he was requested by this Cornelius. Now, I have to back up, if you haven't been following us through the book of Acts, it's the story of the church, its birth in Jerusalem, and then to all of Samaria and Judea, and finally to the ends of the earth. So we're looking at the birth of the church, only up until this time, the only Christians had been Jews. That's about to change. And it happens in an interesting way. So Peter is down in Joppa, and uh, one afternoon, it's lunchtime, and Peter uh, goes up on the roof to pray. And as often happens, we, uh, we think about whatever thing is going on in our stomach. And he was hungry, and so he was dreaming about food. But God gave him a picture of this huge sheet that came down full of unclean animals, animals that were forbidden by the Old Testament law to eat. Bottom feeders, lobster, and crab, and, and, uh, and, and certain types of four-footed animals like pigs, etc. And when it came down, God said to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, uh, no, no, I, I've never eaten anything unclean. Three times that happened. Now, Peter said he was in uh, a trance. We don't know if he was awake or not. He, he just seemed to be staring, kind of like some of you are right now on Sunday morning. But he... Uh, he uh, uh, remembers, and uh, he's trying to figure it out. I, I don't know what God is trying to say to me. Am I supposed to eat these foods? That's not what God was talking about. He's talking about everything in life that is clean when God says it's clean. So he gets this call from this Roman centurion, uh, Cornelius, 30 miles up the coast, and he goes with these men, and he shows up at the front door. And that's exactly where we break into the story now. 
starting in verse 24. And the following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius, that's the centurion, the Roman line officer, was waiting for them and had called together all his relatives and close friends. He had asked Peter to come, so he gathers the whole family and says, come on. And uh, he evidently meets Peter outside in front of the house, and everyone is inside. Now, that's a, a picture, by the way, of somebody came up to me last night, so I'm trying to get this, this person saved, and they're not cooperating. I said, yeah, I know that problem real well. And I uh, said, what do you do? I said, well, you just invite them to church. That's really what Cornelius is doing with all his relatives. Just say, hey, now you're going to have to offer them lunch or something. It doesn't have to be expensive. Take them to Del Taco after church, you know, something. But just invite them to come. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? And then they'll see what you see. So that's what Cornelius has done with his family. And as Peter is coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. What? Now, you can't really blame Cornelius because he grew up in a Roman, he's part of the Italian regiment, so he's from Rome itself, and he grew up worshiping men. Caesar demanded to be worshipped. And so when this angel in bright clothing, although he doesn't call him an angel, said, uh, go call for Peter, he said, well, Peter must be one of these guys, you know, an angel or something. And, uh, and so Peter stops him, verse 26. And Peter lifts him up, probably grabs him by the arms and picks him up. Peter was a mountain of a man, we're told, big burly fisherman. And he said, stand up. I myself am also a man. I am just a man. Anthropos, he said. I'm only a man. I'm just a human being. You can't worship me. Now, I think that's very interesting because I grew up in a church that taught people to worship Peter still. And in fact, if you would go to Rome, the Vatican today, and went in St. Peter's Basilica, you would see the statue of Peter done by Michelangelo. It was cast in the 13th century, it's bronze, and his right foot kind of sticks out. And if you stand there and watch, you'll see people get in a line and go up and kiss his right foot. Now notice, all the toes are gone. That's a lot of kissing. That's a lot of lips. Now I know the solution, they just need a tow truck. But that... <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I don't want to be heel about it, but... Probably no way to recover from that. <laughs> it was a serious statement. So, <laughs> really, I, I swear. Uh, Peter uh, and John had run into that problem before. The apostles, when they did miracles uh, in Acts chapter 3, when uh, Peter healed the man who was uh, unable to walk there at the gate of the temple. He said, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you... Look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk. 
What are you looking at us for? Barnabas and Paul had the same problem when we get to Acts 14 in a, a city called Lystra. And they would do a miracle and then all the priests from the temple brought animals to sacrifice to them. And they said, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made heaven and the earth and sea and all things that are in them. The message is simple. Worship God, not man. You pray to God. You only have one person that you have to pray to, our advocate, Jesus Christ, and you don't pray to saints or grandma or your great-grandfather or any of those things. They're just men like you and like me. Amen? Amen. Okay, 27. And as he talked with them, he went in and found many who had come together. So there's this large crowd. And he said to them, you know, 28, how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go into another na- one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Now, this is a Jewish tradition of men. It is not in the law. You can't find any place in the law that says that a Jewish man isn't even supposed to go and be around a Gentile man. But by Peter's day, the rabbis were saying, particularly the Pharisees, the most fastidious, they'd walk down the streets of Jerusalem and they'd wrap their robes around them so that it wouldn't flow out and touch a Gentile because they thought if it touched a Gentile, they had to go back home, take a mikvah, go take a a bath, a ritual bath, and then change their clothes. But that was not the law. But what it led to was a sign on the Temple Mount that says, no Gentiles past this point. And Jewish pride grew to the point where they no longer even talked to Gentiles, even though God said, you are to be a light to the Gentiles. Now, we get close to that in churches today and say, well, we don't allow people to come to our church service who are ranked sinners. What would Jesus say about that? He was constantly being criticized for having lunch with tax collectors and prostitutes. So I am saying to us, we need to be very careful about the way we treat different people, whether they're a different religion, Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim, whether they're a different colored skin, whether they're a uh, speak a different native language, you and I live in the New Testament, and you and I are called to see all men as created equal, which Thomas Jefferson picked up even as a heathen. All right. Okay. So, verse 29. Therefore, I came without objection. I came to you 
Cornelius, as soon as I have sent for her, I asked them, for what reason have you sent for me? Peter doesn't know why he's there. Now, this is very encouraging to me because God, many times through my walk with him, has asked me to do things, and I'll go and do it, and I, I can't tell you why. At the time, uh, God wanted me to do it. But then it would be sometimes months or even years later I, I would get to see why it was that he asked me to do that specific thing. So don't be surprised because we're all in process. None of us have arrived. God is teaching us all along the way. And part of our obedience is to obey when he says go without knowing the real reason or say something when you don't really know what's going to come out of it. Well, that's exactly where Peter is. He said, I, I, God didn't give me the reason why I'm here. Do you know? Can you help me? That's Peter's question. Second part. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, the ninth hour. Romans starts at six in the morning is the first hour. So this is three in the afternoon, which was the same time that Jews would pray and the evening sacrifice was offered in the temple. Four, day, four days ago at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. He's, the, the Greek word means shimmering. His clothing is, is glittering, but letting off light. It, it seems to be your basic standard Christian issue where, I mean, it's an angel, angel wear, right? That's, what, that's the way they were when they were at the tomb, when uh, Mary came to the tomb. So, Cornelius is explaining why he sent for Peter. I prayed in my house, he did it regularly, and said, verse 31, Cornelius, you, your special prayer has been heard, and your alms or your uh, acts of kindness are remembered in the sight of God. So this angel shows up while he's praying and tells him that, God hears his prayer. Now, there's a definite article there in the Greek language. We don't even have the same thing in uh, English. About the closest you could say in English is this prayer of yours that you've been praying. God's heard. He's going to answer. You, you evidently been doing it for a long time. Do you have a prayer like that? I would challenge you to do that. To, to pick something to pray for that is difficult for it to happen. In fact, I have a little sign on my computer when I come in the morning, start up my computer. The little sign says, attempt something so great for God that it's doomed to failure unless God be in it. And so the prayer I've been praying for more than 20 years is that God would make a move of the Holy Spirit in this valley from really the Banning Pass all the way down to about Rialto are a million people that don't go to church anywhere. And, and now, obviously, I'm not praying to come to church here. There's not room. <laughs> but that all the churches in this valley would preach the gospel and, and show people their need to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So this is the prayer that Cornelius has been praying for a long period of time. Verse 32, therefore, send to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. And he is lodging in the house of another Simon, a tanner, a leather worker, by the sea. And when he comes, he will speak to you. So he's recounting to Peter the commands the angel gave him. 
Verse 33, so I sent to you immediately, and you have done well. It is good that you have come. And now, therefore, we are all present before God. Notice that. Come back to it. To hear all the things commanded to you by God. Two things, present before God, and you have ears to hear. Now, we're not sure where Cornelius got this, but I think it comes from him reading David's Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, David said, where can I flee from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go to the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, you are there. You are with me. Your presence is with me. So check out your theology here. God's presence is everywhere. It doesn't mean that he's in the rock or that he's in the tree. He, it's before him. He can see everything in your life and in my life. Now, it's a little difficult to wrap your mind around it, but Paul said the same thing when he got to Mars Hill, the Greek philosophers. He said, I, I saw over there an unknown idol. You said you don't know what God that is. Well, I came to tell you that that is God Almighty who created everything. And in him we move and we breathe and we have our being. Blew away the philosophers. What's he saying? God is right here, right now. In your life, wherever you go, you are present before God. God's presence is with you. He goes with you. That'll change your life when you wrap your mind around it, how you live your life. That God sees everything I do and say. He goes everywhere I am. He's already there. He's here right now. Now, if you're into physics, it's ta he's talking about dimensions. God lives in other dimensions. We live in three, right? Height, width, and depth. And then add time to it, four dimensions. But God lives outside of that. If you're into M theory or string theory, or you read anything about it, you'll know that there's as many as 11 or maybe even 13 different dimensions. But it, it allows God to be right here in front of me, but I can't see him. You can't see him, but he's here. And so it, it's really a profound statement that Cornelius says that uh, he's, we are in his presence, and he's absolutely right. And we have ears to hear. 16 times Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Not, not just the sound waves that rattle our tympanic membrane inside our ears, but that we actually discern the meaning of the words. So he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then Peter opens his mouth and he delivers his third sermon. The first one yielded 3,000 people at the first day of Pentecost who got saved. His second one, a few days later, when the blind, or excuse me, when the, the uh, quadriplegic was able to walk, he gave a second sermon and 2,000 people get saved. Peter's about, giving, given, about to give his third sermon, but he's giving it to Gentiles. It's like he can't help himself. He hasn't even thought it through yet. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. God doesn't favor 
any particular race or language group, every person on the planet, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, God shows no partiality. Actually, that's not a new thought. It's in the Old Testament in many, many places. But it's the first time that Peter has applied it in a very practical way in his life. Deuteronomy 10:70. For the Lord your God is God of gods, Lord of lords, great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality. Second Chronicles 19:7. Wherefore now let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take heed and do it. For there is no iniquity with the Lord your God, nor respecter of persons, Job 34, 19. Yet he, God, is not partial to princes. He doesn't regard the rich more than the poor, for they are all the work of his hands. It doesn't matter whether you're wealthy or you don't have two pennies to rub together in your pocket right now. It, it doesn't mean if you are uh, not the same color as Jesus was. He was Jewish, right? He probably had black hair. And uh, I just love the pictures of him being blonde with blue eyes, uh, somebody that's never been to Israel. Uh, God does not respond based upon the number of chromos X chromosomes you have, male or female, uh, national origin, Jew, Greek, English, Japanese, Chinese, birth, native or immigrant, athletic ability or inability, verbal dexterity, height, weight, age, reading comprehension, external beauty or lack of it, musical giftedness, vocal quality, hair length, eye color. So what does God see? What does God look for? Your heart. Now, God knows that your heart is as wicked as mine. Pastor, I didn't come to church this morning to be insulted. We do that free here. We don't charge extra for that. God told Jeremiah, your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? Only God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us fail. It's a normal part of being human. Every one of us need a savior and his name is Jesus. And he came and died on a cross to pay for your sins and for mine. So that every one of us, regardless of skin color, language, etc., every person is welcome in the kingdom of God. I love that uh, Dominic was singing about it this morning. That's just the whole message here. So... It works out in 1 Samuel 16, 7, when the prophet Samuel goes to Bethlehem to find a new king. It's time to replace Saul the king. And he went to a man's house there who owned sheep, and he had seven sons, and his name was Jesse. And he said, Jesse, I, I, I want to anoint a new king. Uh, show me your, your firstborn son. And so this real handsome, strapping young man comes in 
And Samuel says, yep, that's the guy. I'm going to anoint him king. And he starts to, and God says, no. You are looking on the outward signs. God looks on the heart. And he did it five more times. The next son, and then the next son, and the next son. He said, oh, that's got to be the one. And and finally, there aren't any sons standing there anymore. And he says, Jesse, do you have any other kids? And he says, just the runt, literally. He calls his youngest son the runt, the red-haired runt. He's out with the sheep. What he was saying was, he stinks so bad, we don't want him in the house the runt would become King David, the writer of the Psalms. God looks on the heart, but the heart is fixable by him. Any heart. It doesn't matter how far away from God you have wandered. It doesn't matter how dark, how black the hole that you have fallen into over and over again. He says, come, all you who are heavy laden, and I will carry your load. I will give you life. Come to me. Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Oh, no. No, they're good. Thus says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me And go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord. You look, you'll find him every time. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Isaiah 55, 6 says, call upon him. He is near. The Lord says, these people come near to me. I perceive that God shows no partiality. Now, verse 35. But in every nation, whoever fears him, whoever has respect for him and works for righteousness is accepted by him, accepts his salvation. All Gentiles, all Jews, The word which God, verse 36, sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord, he is master, he is ruler of all. The word that you know was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God appointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with them. We are witnesses, Peter said. I saw it happen. Of the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree, him God raised up on the third day, gave him power over death. So you and I can trust that God will raise us up not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before him, even us who ate and drank with him. He wasn't a spirit. He was flesh and blood. We had honey and we had fish with him on the sea, on the beach at the Sea of Galilee. So he commanded, commissioned us to preach to the people 
to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes, hello? Whoever believes in him will receive remission, removal of sins. Whoever trusts in what he said, that he died on, I believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sins. That's all you have to embrace, that he did it for you. And we will receive remission, removal of our sins, the consequences of our sins. Ten parts of the sermon, go back and read it. It's amazing, but the results are even more. While Peter was still speaking these words, verse 44, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. They heard it, they believed it, and they experienced a second Pentecost. This is the Gentile Pentecost. It's not on the Feast of Pentecost. These are all Roman soldiers and relatives of this man. And those of the circumcision, those Jews that had come up with Peter from Joppa, who believed, were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, can anyone forbid water for these should not be that these should not be baptized to have received the Holy Spirit as we have. So they did. He commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. So I don't know how really to completely communicate the shock to Peter. The prejudices that he was carrying, that he was overwhelmed by this proof that God didn't respect Jews more than Gentiles. That's painfully obvious, I think, to us in our country since it's something that we're still working on right now. The verse is Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Remember, there were just two in biblical times. You're either a Jew or you're a Gentile. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. There's God's promise for you. As you know, we, we go to Israel often every other year. And I, I just want to close with a, a picture I have in my mind of being in the upper room with a group of you four years ago. And... Um, it was a real crowded time in Jerusalem, and it is the place where the original day of Pentecost happened. 
And we were all crowded in there, and these crazy people from Southern California brought a guitar with them, and they started singing. And we started singing hymns. But what was so overwhelming to me was that there were at least four different groups. There was a group from Italy, uh, a group from Spain, um, a group from Japan, and, and I don't know where the other two groups were from. But the song we were singing, they started singing in their native tongue. And I thought, I just stopped and I listened. I said, I know exactly what those Germans are singing because I know the same song in English because I know the same Savior who isn't prejudiced and is in heaven enjoying five or six different versions of this song being born to him, sung to him. So when you see someone that's different than you, <laughs> which is guaranteed every single day, how shall you respond? How then shall we live, Francis Schaeffer said. You should stop and say, that's a potential child of God. That person is made in the image of God, just like I am. How can I help them? Would you stand please and we'll pray together. Thank you, Lord, that we serve the living God who shows no partiality, that accepts everyone who will come, that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, you said. How simple can you make it, Lord? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Jesus, shall be saved from their sins. We thank you for that, Lord. Most of us in this room have experienced that. Lord, we lift up any here who are not walking with you and ask that you'd speak to them right now and save them. Christians, please pray. So I wonder if there's someone here this morning, maybe you're visiting for the first time, but through this service you've been struck by your own sin. You know you're a sinner. We all know that inside. This moment is for you. If you'd like to know that your sins are forgiven, if you'd like to know that you're going to spend eternity with God, if you're ready to surrender your life to him, would you let me know you're ready by looking up at me and raising your hand. And you're saying, I surrender. I give you my life, Lord. God bless you. Two couples, three here. You, sir, God bless you. Anyone over here? Right in front of me. Smartest thing you ever did, young man. The very back, two of you, young lady. You, a couple, God bless you. Anyone over here? Yes, sir, on the aisle. Anyone over here? God is speaking. If I miss your hand, don't worry. God did not. Those of you that raised your hands, would you please pray out loud with the rest of us? We're just going to talk to God, asking to forgive our sins, and he's going to do it right where you're standing. So everybody together, please say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I give you my life. Please forgive my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can serve you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you that prayed that, we encourage you to go over those double doors. We'll love to give you Bible. Pray with